Welcome in. <laughs> um, it is good to have you here. Uh, we are back with another mental health Q&A. And today's topic is going to be about grief. This will be part one of uh, what will be probably a couple episodes, at least two for sure. As always, I just need to lay a little bit of a template for what to expect in this video. I am a licensed marriage and family therapist in the states of Illinois and Nevada, and I have been practicing as a therapist now for over 10 years at the time of this video. Grief is a topic that comes across my uh, caseload very frequently, as you may imagine. It's something that I've helped countless people work through in various capacities over my years as a therapist. It's also something that I've certainly been there for friends and family who have been struggling with grief. And I think it's a topic that touches all of us. So when I speak on these topics that we're going to cover and answer the questions that I'm going to answer, I answer them as a professional. I'm not answering them as like Ryan's personal opinion. I'm answering them as a therapist who has worked with this topic and who has you know, stayed up to date as much as I can on um, how, where we kind of understand grief to be. It's a very, very, very complex topic. Jared here is, uh, has a degree in marriage and family therapy. He is not currently practicing, but he is fully equipped to be able to moderate these streams. You've seen him before. If you've watched any of the other Q and A's, he's going to be the one that reads the questions and facilitates this discussion. And I'm going to answer to the best of my ability. We're gonna start with a little bit of a background on what grief is and talk about that as just a broad topic and also what it also can mean for the streaming sphere since that's a space that I operate in. And then we're gonna answer as many questions from the community as we possibly can. If you ever want one of your questions to be asked in one of these Q and A's, make sure you go to my Discord, which you'll find the link for down in the description. So thanks for watching this. I hope it will be helpful and let's get rolling. All right. Uh, I have just went ahead and threw that up there for you. Let's talk about defining grief. All right. So grief is simultaneously very difficult and somewhat easy to define. I think for the purposes of this talk, the way that we're going to define grief is a marked in increase of emotional intensity in relation to a loss, a perceived loss, or an anticipated loss. Oftentimes we talk about grief in the context of people dying, but grief does not only happen in the context of losing people uh, to death. It can happen if people move away and are unavailable to you. You can grieve things that aren't people. You can grieve the loss of a job. You can grieve the loss of your ability to do a certain skill. Uh, there's all sorts of things that we can grieve. It's often contextualized as including sorrow of some type or sadness, though it doesn't always have to include that. We generally are looking for the intensity, the emotional intensity spike related to a certain event, series of events, perceived event or anticipated event. And that's how we're, that's the definition of grief that we're going to use for the purposes of this discussion going forward. All right, and now we're going to jump into something a little bit more specific. We're going to talk about the definition of trauma dumping. So the reason that we're talking about trauma dumping in this context is because this 
verbiage has become popular over the recent, I'd say, what, year or so, maybe a little bit longer than that. Uh, you hear it in the streaming space, but I've started to hear it outside of that as well, which is why I think this is an important thing for us to cover, because when people talk about grief, whether it's talking about the actual event or the experience that you're having as a result of the event, sometimes you will hear the phrase trauma dumping as a way to describe a person's disclosure of grief. And so I want to make sure that I give a good definition of what trauma dumping actually is because this gets thrown around way too often. And the way that we're going to do that is to talk about two different ways of talking about grief. There's the event or series of events itself or the facts of what it is that has happened or will happen. And then there is the experience that a person has after or in anticipation of that event. Disclosing a traumatic event or a or grief in this case, because there's sometimes tra uh, trauma can coincide with grief. Disclosing the thing that you're grieving about, for example, saying something like my father died or uh, my brother was diagnosed with cancer, or I'm going to lose my job, or I can no longer play tennis, whatever it may be. Disclosing the facts of something is not actually trauma dumping. That's just saying this happened, or this is happening, and it's something that I'm currently experiencing. Uh, a trauma dump would be to take the consequence or the fallout from that series of events or how it's affecting you and violate a person's boundaries by hitting them with a onslaught of that experience, particularly if it's beyond their capacity to be able to handle. So that would be something like, my father died and I'm now having flashbacks of when I was a kid. And when I was a kid, my father was abusive. So it's very complicated for me to talk about his death because when I talk about his death, I simultaneously feel a sense that I'm supposed to be sad, but I'm not sad because I'm relieved. And then I was talking to my grandma the other day and my grandma said that she was having a different experience and I just don't really know what to do. And I'm really looking for help. And I need, it's, it's that onslaught and a person says hey that's not for me to be able to handle and a person continues to throw that out there and to con and continues to go into that beyond the capacity of the context that they're in i will make very clear that you there is no such thing as trauma dumping in the context of a ther of therapy you can't trauma dump on your therapist uh you can trauma dump in other contexts whether it's with friends with streamers or whatnot um, but trauma dumping isn't necessarily a bad thing so long as you're not violating a person's boundary if they set that with you, which should be very clearly defined. And being mindful of context, I think, is important as well. But there's a difference between saying something that happened and going way into the weeds of your experience of it beyond the capacity of the person who's listening to you. And it's important for you as the person who's experiencing that grief process, something that a lot of us want, which we'll talk about throughout this video is for us to have a sense of connection and affirmation that our grief is valid and that what we're experiencing, no matter what it is, matters. And sometimes we look to different contexts in order to get that validation. And sometimes it's the proper context to do that. And sometimes it's not. So it's important to sort of understand that as well. Uh, but be careful, anybody watching this video, be careful with misusing the term trauma dumping. Trauma dumping isn't just sharing something difficult. Trauma dumping is violating boundaries by pushing too far 
into the experience relative to what it is that a person is disclosing. And I'm, I'm curious just to have you go a little bit further. Why would you say that a term like trauma dumping uh, can elicit such a reaction in people like you and I? Because it oversimplifies a complicated process and it's also often weaponized against people who are experiencing vulnerability. So it's a way to invalidate and also make it seem that when a person is sharing something that matters deeply to them, that that's somehow problematic or harmful in some kind of way. And in some cases, like it, it can be if a person's like having, like if you disclose my father died and my dad just died and it's gonna completely derail my stream to go into that kind of conversation, it's okay for me to say, hey, I can't talk about that right now because uh, you know, I'm sorry that that happened, but that's not, a, I'm not in a space to be able to talk about that. I'm, I'm just a streamer. In my case, it's a little bit different because I'm a, I'm a therapist, but regardless, the thing that I think makes it frustrating for folks like us is because then what happens is people become averse to sharing the things that are difficult that are happening to them or that they're grieving because they're worried that they're trauma dumping. And as a therapist, there have actually been times where people have been averse to sharing something very personal or that they're grieving because they're worried about taking care of me. And that's not your job when you're in therapy. Your job as a client in therapy is to talk about what's going on for you. My job is to handle that appropriately. So when we see these words get tossed around, it it starts to victim blame, so to speak, in terms of like, I've experienced grief. I'm just trying to reach out and talk about it with people that I perceive to be safe. And I'm now being told that that's burdensome and problematic. Boundary violations are problematic, but boundaries also need to be clearly stated. So if you haven't stated your boundaries and then people start disclosing stuff to you, it's time for you to set some boundaries. You can be kind and warm about that. You don't have to be harsh, uh, but it's why it's why we get flustered or not flustered. We get frustrated when we hear the word trauma dumping because it's often misused. And that's actually a pretty good segue into discussing grief in the streaming space. Yeah, so... Um, we will there there are parallels to talking about this in the streaming space versus real life and we're going to talk about real life with a whole bunch of questions here after this but i do want to make mm -hmm. sure we cover this because it's a it's a pretty timely topic um all of you that are watching this right now are watching it in some capacity in like the form of like either youtube as a vod or there are people here that are watching this live on twitch and when you create content, you facilitate a parasocial relationship with the people who watch you. And parasocial relationships is a topic probably for another day for us to cover, but parasocial relationships are essentially a sense that a relationship you have to a person vis-a-vis -vis streaming, Twitter, etc., that that relationship is actually more than what it is. And so what happens is you create a sense of comfort because all of you are, you see me, you know what I look like, you know what I sound like, you're connected to the content that I create. And so what that does with that, when it coincides with the barrier of technology is it creates a space where it can sometimes be easier to disclose things that are vulnerable because you feel a sense of safety and security with that person. So inevitably as a streamer, if you're cultivating a community that is tight knit and you're interacting with people in your chat, you are facilitating a parasocial relationship that for some will be maybe more comfortable than their real relationships and is a space that they might feel comfortable disclosing something that they are currently grieving in your chat or in your comments or as a comment on your on a tweet or something like that. That's going to happen. And so there is going there are two 
two different groups of people I'm talking to when I answer this or when I talk about this. The first is going to be streamers. Streamers, you should know that this is going to happen. And the most important thing that you can do is understand what your boundaries are around that. If you notice yourself getting flustered because somebody discloses something and it feels way beyond your scope of what you're able to handle, it's okay to say that. You can warmly say to that person, hey, I appreciate that you're willing to share that with me because really it's an indication that that person feels some sense of connection to you. I appreciate that you're willing to share that with me, but I am not the person to disclose that with. And I ask that you please find somebody else to disclose this further with because I'm not in a position to do so. Easy peasy, and then move on. Your stream is your stream. You control it. You decide what people can and cannot talk about in chat. If that person continues to violate that boundary, time them out. It's okay to time out or ban somebody who's grieving. Just because they're struggling doesn't mean they get to violate your boundaries. It's really that easy. Um, if you need to set a boundary at the outset with people because you're like, hey, I'm going through some shit with my parents right now. And so like, I don't really want to hear about people's parents dying or I don't want to talk about death. You can totally do that and have your mods prepared to remove stuff from chat if they need to. Easy peasy. From the streamer side of things, it's easy. Uh, for viewers, it's a little bit more uh, tricky. Uh, you may feel a sense of compulsion to share what you're grieving with your with a streamer or with a content creator. In the case of somebody like me, who's a therapist, who's prepared for that, who talks about being a mental health streamer, that's okay. I know how to handle those conversations. Uh, sharing that with other streamers who are not professionals like I am is dicey. You need to be aware of what their boundaries are. It's okay if you feel a sense of connection with that person and they're asking how you're doing or they're chatting with people to say, you know, it's been a struggle for me because my uh, my sister was recently diagnosed with cancer and that's been a real struggle for our family. That person says, hey, um, not the time or the place, or maybe they ignore your message. Uh, it's not personal. It's them trying to maintain a boundary. If that person responds to it and says, oh my gosh, I'm so sorry to hear that and asks you questions about it, you're more than welcome to talk more about it because they're inviting you in to do that. Sending a really loaded message to a streamer who's like in the middle of playing Apex with a group of friends and they're not even remotely close to the position to be able to talk about that kind of thing is probably going to be harmful to you more so because you're not going to get the type of validation and response that you're looking for. So understand the limitations of being, of speaking about grief, which again is a very complicated process that we're going to talk about here uh, in the content creation sphere, because while they may appear to be safe and like a relationship that you can disclose that with, the chances are they probably aren't or they have limitations That's it's on them to disclose to you. But you're always welcome to come talk about that kind of stuff. With me in my chat, um, I can't do therapy on my streams uh, when I'm on Twitch or when I'm reading YouTube comments, but I do know how to respond to that because I'm a professional and I've done that for 13 years at this point. I'd say I hope that covers of, it. I'd say another piece of advice for viewers, um, which is something that I think people don't usually do, and maybe this speaks to the UI of Twitch or maybe this just speaks to kind of how you look at stuff. A lot of people put rules, not just in that little bubble that most people ignore so they can chat. They put them down below in their channel. And mm -hmm. I have seen streamers who put down there like, hey, this is a fun space that I use to escape from things. So I would appreciate it if you refrain from discussing heavy topics, just like they might say, you know, we don't talk about politics or religion in the chat and their rules. So 
uh, if it's a space or a community that you find yourself frequenting and a space in a community that you find yourself comfortable in, it might be a good idea to refresh yourself with some of those panels and some of those rules uh, just to make sure that you're kind of navigating it uh, in the right way. Um, and I'm, I would also, I think your advice to like streamers is a bit too therapist-y. So what's another way you would phrase um, responding to some one who brings something into a chat uh, and you just want to kind of give them a a kind, non-harsh way of like, hey, that's not something that I would like to discuss or that's not something that I do here. I appreciate that you shared that. I'm not in a position to be able to talk about that. So I'm going to continue to go through my stream and I encourage you to talk to other people in your life who are more equipped to handle it. Is the, is the best way to, that's all you have to say. It's the best thing that you can do. Um, I also think it's important for us to have this conversation before we move to these next series of questions that we're going to do, because I know already that by doing this video, I am sure I'm going to receive some DMs from people, um, because you're going to probably feel pretty validated by this conversation, particularly if you're going through grief at this moment in time of watching this video. And I want to make sure that I am clear and set a boundary that I cannot respond to DMs that are about personal stories of grief. I can't give professional or therapeutic advice to anybody who doesn't have a signed service agreement with me and is not my client. So if you send me a DM that is loaded with a bunch of personal information talking about grief and asking me questions, I'm not going to be able to answer it. And you will likely get a very short answer from me that says, I'm sorry, I can't answer that with a video attached of how to find a therapist. So I just wanna be very clear that if you leave a comment or if you DM me um, and you go into a, it's okay to ask general questions in the comments and stuff, I can answer those. But if you go into your personal life story and start talking about that with me via DM or via comment, I cannot answer those questions. I cannot attend to that uh, because I am not your therapist. I'm a therapist, not your therapist. And I have resources available for how to find one if grief is something that you're struggling with and something that you wanna talk to somebody who's equipped to be able to handle it with. So, with that, uh, with that header complete, let's jump in. We'll do just a quick touch back on it before we jump into this, but we're gonna touch back on like grief and its relation to trauma. So we kind of have a better idea of that moving forward with these questions as well. And then we're gonna go a little bit more specific. Okay. It's up. Cool. Okay, so, um... There's a common misconception about grief that when you experience something that produces a grief response, that that's a trauma. That's not always true. Uh, trauma is, gr grief can create, there can be trauma and grief at the same time. And often grief is often a part of trauma. Trauma is not always a part of grief. And that's a very important distinction. Trauma is when you have a gross violation of your expect, like you have an experience that's in gross violation to your expectations that's coupled with a lost sense of safety and security. And grief is that increased emotional intensity relative to an event, perceived event or anticipated event that is not necessarily going to create that lost sense of safety and security and is not necessarily going to create like trauma fallout or response later on in life. Sometimes people think that because grief comes up over time, you know, like four years later, you might think about your father who died four years ago and you're like, oh my God, was I traumatized by that? Not necessarily. Um, trauma is, is in a different sphere. And the way that we would help a person parse that out 
would be via therapy. But you can experience the death of a loved one or being fired from work or whatever it may be. If you become disabled, uh, physically disabled uh, because of some sort of accident or something, you can experience that as a trauma and also grieve the loss of what comes along with that. Trauma doesn't always include loss. Grief includes loss. So there's uh, that's an important distinction as well. So just because you're experiencing grief doesn't mean you're traumatized. And that is, I think, important for people to understand as well as if you experience trauma, you're not guaranteed to have PTSD. People often mistakenly think that you're going to, you only have trauma if you have PTSD. Trauma can affect you significantly without producing the diagnostic criteria for PTSD. And that doesn't make the traumatic experience you had any less valid. In the same way that if your grief is intense versus maybe not as intense as you were anticipating, it doesn't make your grief any less valid because it's not as intense. Like grief is not more valid commensurate with the intensity of the emotion that you experience. Grief is valid no matter what it is that you're experiencing and how you're experiencing it. And we're gonna we're gonna probably repeat that a lot throughout yep. the this vibe the next vibe whatever but it, those are really important points to kind of remember especially when we're discussing the big topic of grief yep. and uh since grief is uh so very present in our lives we've uh heard of different ways to define it so i am curious uh what is dabda and is grief linear Did you just say linear <laughs> yeah what do you say linear yeah <laughs> no, I just, I've, I've heard. I just didn't realize you said that word that way. Okay. I kind of do both. Depends on just where I'm at. You know what I mean, though. I do. I do. This is a tremendous, this is tremendously important for us to cover because this is an underpinning of every single question we're going to answer after this. Uh, D, uh, Dabda, uh, as it's often known, is denial, anger, bargaining, depression, and acceptance. I'm sure that almost every single person watching this video has likely heard, if not of Dabda, you've heard of the stages of grief. And it is one of the most frustrating concepts that has made it out into the general public understanding of grief. Because one, grief is not in any way, shape or form a linear process. I uh, just have to make that very clear. You don't go in order that this is not an order of operations thing. You're not like in, I'm in stage two, which means I'm making progress. That's not how it works. Grief quite literally affects every single person differently. The same event can be grieved by different people in different ways. You can grieve similar things completely differently. The grief happens over time. Sometimes it's a short burst. Literally, it is impossible to anticipate how a person is going to grieve a certain thing until that thing happens. And you do not need to go through all of these stages in order for your grief to be considered legitimate or valid. The thing that frustrates me so much about the existence of this construct is that people hold themselves to this as a standard. So you'll notice that the word relief is not included in that, yet people will often say relief is something that they experience, particularly if there is if they're grieving something that was taxing to them. For example, a person who was a caregiver for a loved one for 10 years and it was really taxing on their relationship in their life and then their person that person dies, 
they'll be they may be sad that that person has died but they may also experience some relief because now they don't have to caretake for that person anymore that's perfectly valid but you'll hear people say things like well wait a minute that that doesn't sound right because if i'm relieved that must mean i'm not doing this right that must mean that i'm an asshole or whatever and it's like no that's part of the grief process so dabda is a very easy thing for people to remember it's the thing that takes a very complex topic like grief and it makes it very simple so that people think they understand it better and the truth of the matter is dabda gives you absolutely no understanding of the grief process other than these are five possible things of an infinite amount of possibilities that you may experience when you're grieving if you don't get angry it doesn't mean that you're grieving wrong it just means you're not angry about it so this drives me nuts there is no as far as i know there is no empirical validation for this being like an actual legit like law of the land this is just a theory that some folks put out because it was a common thread through a lot of grief that they had seen and they were like let's make it easy for people to understand the problem is that while it can make it people more aware that there are emotions you're going to experience when you go through grief it oversimplifies it to people's detriment. And so I get really frustrated by this. So with a lot of these questions that we're gonna uh, we're gonna go into, you're gonna you would hear me and say to every single one of those questions that like there's no right way to do this. And a lot of the questions we got ahead of time were, what's the right way to grieve? And there is no right way to grieve. The the only time that grief is problematic or is like the wrong way is if the way you're grieving is harmful to yourself or to others. So if you're angry because a person, a loved one died or was diagnosed with an, with an illness or something like that, and you go out and you, you drink a bunch of alcohol and drive your car around the highway to try to decompress and you kill somebody in a car accident because of that, that's a harmful way to grieve. That's putting other people at risk. But if you're sitting at home and you're laying on the couch under four blankets and you're crying your eyes out while putting your comfort video up on TV, nothing wrong with that, right? So there are, there's no right or wrong way to grieve so long as you're not causing harm to yourself or to others. And I really want to make sure that I drive that point home because if there's nothing else that anybody takes away from this video, it should be that. That there is no right or wrong way to do this. The only standard of grief you should hold yourself to is your own. Uh, I'm going to hit you with the same curveball that my professor in my, uh, I think it was my, I think it's like my micro communications class hit me with. Uh, is there a right or wrong place to grieve? That is an interesting question. Um, that presupposes the way that grief is manifesting itself because i think it would very much depend on the way that a person is grieving so if like let's say that a person is experiencing an immense sense of relief in the loss of a loved one and they're at a you know like a get together like a memorial for that person and the other people that are in that space are really sad about it and are you know having a really hard time parading around that group saying i'm so relieved and like being in everybody's face about that probably not great because you're not reading the context in the environment 
Whereas maybe you have like a close friend who has understood what you've been going through with that person who is totally prepared to hear you celebrate and jump up and down and say, you know what, I'm actually kind of glad that this is over despite being sad about it. So I think like, I mean, I had a supervisor once that said, you can say anything to anyone so long as it's at the right time um, and in the right place. And I think being aware of the context that you're in is important. That doesn't mean that you necessarily have to curb what it is that's happening. What it may just mean is you need to remove yourself from a given space that is not prepared to handle what it is that you're bringing to it, which I think is kind of a full circle to what we were talking about at the beginning of this video of there is a your therapist's office is the place for all of it. That's the that is the that's the place where you could whatever it is, you could go there. But outside of a therapist's office, there is some, some I think, idea of needing to know not just what you're putting into the environment, but what the environment is capable of giving back to you, which means that you also need to have an understanding of what it is that you are needing from others and from the environment as you go through the grief process, because you may, you may need to make sure that you're intentionally putting yourself in places that are capable of holding that space in the way that you need and removing yourself from spaces that are not able to do that. Um, I'm thinking of like, um, like there was, I remember actually, it's weird that you asked that question because of what immediately one thing that I thought about is when I was in college, when I was in my undergrad, I was in English class one time and we were reading a book and I forget which one it was. And we were doing a discussion and this, uh, this person in my class started crying because it was like touching on a something that uh, they were actively grieving. And the person asked the professor to stop talking about what we were talking about, like wanted mm -hmm. to put the brakes on the conversation that was happening in the class. I would argue that that's an inappropriate response that if the if this because that is sort of hijacking a situation that is not designed to hold an individual's grief. And it's and it's influencing everybody else in that space who are not who are there to be in a classroom. They're not there to attend to an individual person's struggles. And so those struggles that that person is experiencing are valid, but that person should remove themselves from the classroom if that's something that they're experiencing and then talk to the professor later and say, here's why I removed my, myself from the situation. It was just very intense. I didn't want to hijack the class by being incredibly emotional while we were talking about that. So it simultaneously validates your experience and also holds into account the context that you're in that may not be prepared to support you in what it is that you're experiencing. That's a memory I haven't thought about in years. And asking that question made me think about that. So yes, there is there are right and wrong places to express your grief. That is for sure. Yeah, no, uh, I think it was the first time I was ever challenged in my master's program because I can't remember the exact thing I did. I wrote it in a paper uh, and she like had me come up and talk to her about the paper. Basically, I described a situation of someone crying in a grocery store as inappropriate because, hmm. uh, you know, societally speaking, that's kind of how we see it. And she was just straight up just like, why? <laughs> like, why? Why is that person having, you know, a moment to themselves? in a public place wrong right and i was just like oh uh, <laughs> i yeah. mean i i guess it isn't and she's like yeah no like that person's having a hard time they have to express their emotions and the way they need to express it is just to have themselves a little cry in the grocery store doesn't really bother you it's not really bothering anybody else other than making them uncomfortable which again is on them that's not a you problem the person yep. who's experiencing it so 
you know, maybe just kind of rethink uh, when you when you say stuff like that. And I remember just like going home and like sitting on my couch and be like, damn, I really do have <laughs> to kind of reevaluate the way I see the world, especially if this is a career that I plan to yeah to go down. Because like, I think I was writing it in the situation of like, yeah, if a person comes to me in a therapy session and they're like, oh, I cried in the grocery store today, I got to figure out how to talk that out of them. And it's just like, no, nope, no, you don't. No, you, you need don't. to figure out what's going on for them, but don't shame them for, Correct. you know, expressing their emotions in a healthy way. So that's why I always think that's a, a really, really good question. That is a very, very um, vivid conversation I remember having. Uh, it brings up an important point, though, which is that and um, there is a tendency for grief. So humans are generally very empathic uh, and can pick up on grief in particular pretty easily because of the increased intensity like it's hard sometimes for people to read baseline levels of emotion but when you start having that increased level of emotion behaviors change uh non-verbals change there's there's changes sometimes it's overt right like crying in the grocery store but what's important is that when people have their empathy engaged particularly involuntarily that can create discomfort and so Sometimes people are averse to that discomfort. Sometimes people get, they don't want to be in the presence of a person who's grieving because it brings up a bunch of stuff for them and makes them very uncomfortable. So long as the situation is appropriate, if you're grieving, you're not responsible for the discomfort of the people around you when they empathize with the grief that you are experiencing. So like, a lot of times when people are grieving, they feel this sense that they have to take care of everybody else and make sure that they don't see the grief because they don't want other people to be affected by or uncomfortable. And some level of like thinking about that, I think is okay. Like it's okay to keep context into in, in mind and not hijack certain situations. But also those people are also responsible for doing what they need to do in order to take care of themselves if they're uncomfortable in your presence. So there's a push pull there. It's very contextually loaded, but you are not responsible for hiding your experience entirely just because you don't want the other people around you to be burdened by that because inherently people are going to be because of the empathy that's involuntarily engaged. You you can't really go through the like explicit grieving and not elicit some level of empathy and in time sympathy from people around you. And they may feel a sense of coming towards you and wanting to take care of you. And sometimes that comes from a good place. If it comes from a place of they want you to stop being uh, emotional because it's making them uncomfortable, then they're asking you to reassure them. In which case you can say, uh, too bad, I'm, uh, this is how it is. But if they're coming towards you to say like, hey, you know, what do you need? Well, how can I support you? That's a different conversation. So don't imagine that people are burdened by your grief without them explicitly telling you that they're burdened by your grief. And if they tell you that, then you decide what you want to do with that information. It's actually, I remember what I wanted to bring up. I forgot it, but that brought me back to um, kind of our conversation about the streaming space. And I think this is something that applies um, outside as well. There's something that you always say whenever we're talking specifically about relationships that always comes up. Um, and it is, you don't ask questions that you're not ready for the answer to. Yep. And I think that applies really, really well here, because especially if you're someone who wants to, say, help ease someone's um, grief that you see, you need to make sure that you are in a place to handle that. Yep. Um, 
and you might, as you were saying, jump into that because you are doing that to ease your own, you know, anxiety around it. But your desire to ease that anxiety needs to be reconciled with whether or not you are capable of doing that. Um, so maybe it's better to remove yourself from the situation as opposed to trying to, quote unquote, solve yep. uh, the situation. Know your limits. And I agree. Yeah, it's my mantra all the time. Never ask a question you're not ready for the answer to. Assume yeah, that so, people will be an will be honest when they answer your question. Mm -hmm. Specifically, if you ask someone how they are. Yep. You need to be prepared for them to tell you exactly how they, how are. they are. Yep. Uh, all right. So now we're going to get into the more... Uh, like Q&A based questions that I found. I pulled some general themes to start and then it'll start feeling a little bit more uh, specific. And remember, um, if we don't get to your question, we're going to do multiple parts of this. So we'll get through correct. as many as we can, but I want to make sure that the answers are quality over quantity. Yes. So first one we'll do is how do I move on with grief if I feel like it's been too long? Uh, I, th this is a make sure you put that question up on the screen um, is it not popping up there? no um, there it is okay <clears throat> so this is um, there's a lot in this question it looks like a very simple question but it's not mm -hmm. grief is it's not be asked a lot by the so way so there's two things forms. two things grief is not something you move on from Grief is something that you go through and it diminishes over time based on the way that you attend to it. So there's no, like that's a common misconception is that grief is this tiny, is this little thing, it's a speed bump. You hit the speed bump and once both sets of tires go over it, you never worry about it again. And that's not how it works. What's underneath that question I think is how do I move to a place where I'm not experiencing emotions that are difficult for me to experience anymore because I'm tired of experiencing that. And that is a, the answer to that is unique to a person's given situation. It's about developing various coping strategies for that. It's about the extent to which you're willing to attend to the event or events that led to this emotional experience. It's about self-validation and the fact that like what you're experiencing is valid at a given point in time and that that emotion is actually okay to experience and isn't causing any harm. Focusing on the behaviors that are the product of that, that you're choosing that might be causing harm or perpetuating that sense. Like that's what we're gonna be focusing on. You don't move on from grief. It's just something that like, the the pervasiveness in your mind that grief has diminishes over time based on how you respond to it which similar to anxiety the avoidance of grief often makes grief worse so if you consistently avoid it and you try to stuff it and you try not to allow it to take up mind share it's going to last a hell of a lot longer at a lot higher intensity because it needs to be attended to. Your body is talking to you. When you are having an emotional experience, it's your body and brain talking to you and telling you that something has affected you significantly. That needs validation before it is going to mitigate over time. So speaking of time, and I feel like it's been too long. It hasn't. There's no such thing as too long as it relates to grief. Uh, there are times where people will still be thinking about something five years later 
Uh, you know, my father died five years ago, and I still think about him on his birthday. Of course you do. It's his birthday. It makes total sense. Anniversaries are often hard as it relates to grief. But grief spikes. It's ebbs and flows over time. It's not a starts here, plateaus, and then goes down over time and stays there. Grief, I mean, it, there is a general plateau that goes off, but then if you zoom in, there are microbursts of intensity that happen, often around anniversaries, often around important events, stuff like that, right? It's like if my mother died and then I graduate from college and my mother's not there, yeah, probably going to experience a spike in grief if I had a good relationship with my mom and it's something that she always wanted for me, right? So like there is not really a such thing as too long. So again, what I think is underneath this question is I'm I'm experiencing emotions that are not particularly pleasant and they've been going on for a long time and I really wish that it would slow down. And that comes down to a difference in self-talk, a difference in frame, talking to somebody. I, I'm going to throw the therapist thing out a lot here, talking to a therapist about it so that they can help you put together a package that allows you to move through this in a way that is maybe going to mitigate some of that intensity over time, if that's what you're striving for. But what there's also a lot of judgment in this question. There's a lot of self-judgment that I should be moving on and that it's been too long. Th th that's not a reality. That's a judgment. And if those judgments are actively making the grief process more difficult, which they probably are, it's time to change those judgments. Get more curious about your experience. Be more compassionate towards your experience. Validate those emotions. And you'll actually find that over time, it becomes a lot easier to manage because there's validation there instead of judgment. Which means never tell somebody to move on and never tell somebody that it's been too long. You do not get to decide that for other people. Never, ever, ever tell somebody who's grieving to move on. That's a selfish thing about you. That's not helpful to that person at all. It's supposed it, it presupposes that that person is supposed to have a finite chunk of time that they're allowed to do this and then they have to get over it. And that's bullshit. Never say that to somebody that's trying to grieve. So many follow-ups here. Uh, let me sure. see if I can remember them all. Uh, one, I think I do want to kind of drive home the point of length here using your same example. Uh, as like you graduate from college uh, and your mother is not there. Uh, grief can last long enough and you can have things that bring it back up to the point where let's say you have a child of your own and then you see them graduate. Yep. And then you think about the fact that you were there to see them graduate, but your mom wasn't there to see you graduate. It can bring that stuff back up. Um, I like I like this idea. You You've been having some pretty good uh, examples today which I don't usually give you credit for because usually they're kind of abstract but you're doing good today so I'll give you a little pat on the back for that I'm intentionally Hopefully... trying to do that so thanks for the feedback <laughs> yeah no you're, you're doing you're doing good um but like the idea that like you're supposed to have both sets of tires go over the speed bump and then boom it's done uh I think explaining it that that's not how it works is like just a great visualization mm -hmm. uh to help people understand that that's just simply not how it works um Oh man, what was the what was the other follow-ups I had? I can't remember them right now. Uh Sorry, Oh, the sure judgment thing up. is the judgment thing is great. I'm actually really glad you picked up on that in the question. I knew you would, but I'm glad you just kind of got it cuz I purposefully left the question in there the way that I did so that people can see when they kind of frame it from this way, it really is a judgment you're kind of putting on yourself. Um cuz it, it, it just isn't a too long. It's just how it works. 
Yep. Um, there's one more thing. I'm sure I'm gonna remember it uh, later on. But the second question, this, this is actually related, um, and it's what do I do when others are telling me that I've been grieving for too long? Uh, ooh, okay. This happens a lot, and I really did lead us right into this, didn't I? You did. Yeah. Um, it <laughs> uh, it's okay to be frustrated by that. It's boundary time, really. Um, what? Because what people are saying to you, if they, if people say to you you've been grieving too long, what they're saying to you actually is, I'm no longer in a position to be able to hear about this, which means that they're putting the onus of their boundaries on you, which is a bullshit proposition. So what you would do is say something along the lines of your experience of hearing that, right? So. You know, hey, I don't appreciate being told that this is going on for too long because this is my process and it's something that I'm struggling with. If there is something about my grief process that is affecting our relationship, I need you to tell me what that is. And then I will let you know whether that is something that I can actively attend to right now or not. Put their seat on the fire in order to tell you the way that they're being affected by your grief. So, because there is no such thing as too long. It is okay if your friends and family reach a point where they're kind of like, you know, every time we talk about your mom, you get really emotional. And that's getting very difficult for me to sit with because like, I'm just trying to play D&D and like our characters are going to have mothers and we need to be we need to be able to do that. I think it's okay for friends to say like, hey, this is getting really difficult for us. It seems like you're really struggling and you, we encourage you to talk to somebody about it or whatnot because it's starting to affect us. Like you should all, you can always attend to things that affect you directly. But if a person's grief is not affecting you directly and you're just making a judgment that they're grieving for too long, you are, it is totally misplaced. So, what I would do in that place is say, to what extent is how I'm grieving affecting us? And how can we problem solve that? And I need you to tell me directly rather than suggest that I'm grieving too long because this is a process that I'm going through to the best of my ability. Uh, that's good. Uh, I think I want you to kind of go into the other side because in that example, um, basically the onus has been put onto the person who is grieving, but is there a way for someone, like, what is the best way for someone who isn't grieving, but does feel like, uh, their friend or their loved one is just being like, in their opinion, severely impacted by their grief. How did they bring that up with them? Sure. Oh, oh yeah. I mean, I mostly answered it that way because the person yeah. is apparently mm -hmm. the grieving party, but yeah, if you're on mm -hmm. the other side of that you again you speak to what how you're being affected so if that person's grief and the way that they're displaying it is something that is beginning to affect your relationship either because you're beyond your limitations you are unsure how to support them i mean there's you can always say you can always say what kind of support do you need and then if the answer to that question is something that you're able to do cool if it's not then just be honest that you can't do it but you can say like 
I'm if something like I'm starting to worry about you because this has been going on for a while and it doesn't seem like and it seems like it's affecting a lot of aspects of your life, including our relationship. And so I'm I'm wondering if there's any additional support that you may need that I can help you find or that I can provide. It's also OK to say like, hey, I, um, you know, I appreciate that you're going through this and that it's really hard right now. I'm not in a position to be able to share space with you while you're going through this right now. So like, I'm not going to hang out tonight or, you know, we're going to, we're going to do whatever. Like you set, you set that boundary. It's very difficult. It's hard to do. You can even hear it in my hypothetical example here where like there is a, there's a level of care that needs to go into that. It's not, these are not easy conversations, but somebody's grief, albeit incredibly important and something that they need to go through also isn't something that can put an absolute it's not pulling the handbrake on everybody else and everything else. Um, life, one of the one of the harsh realities of grief, and many people will tell you this when they go through something very significant with grief, is that the world keeps going. Your world might stop, but the world keeps going. So sometimes when people feel like their world has stopped they want everybody else's world to stop with them so that they can just take that beat and then re-engage with the world as one unified group and that is unfortunately not how it works mm -hmm. um other people are going to continue to live their lives and do their things and the truth of the matter is other people outside of the circle who are most affected by that event are not going to grieve it often at the same level of intensity or even think about it even remotely as much as you do. And that's a hard thing because that's that's what creates that sense of isolation and grief. And so then to hear people set boundaries with you while you're grieving or setting boundaries with a grieving person becomes very difficult because there's often this fear that you're further perpetuating that sense of isolation that that person's experiencing. But the reality is you also have to live your life and you also have to have your boundaries and it's okay to set those boundaries if needed albeit again warmly right i care about you i appreciate you i know this is difficult i'm not in a position to be able to be around it as much anymore because when i hear you know when i see you in this space it it makes it hard for me because i pick up on some of that sadness and then the rest of my day i'm feeling down and that's been really hard for me because i got to get some work done like it's okay to say those things um, and that's what every, every conversation is a negotiation. And that is also the case for grief. I'm going to ask you two very specific questions and my wording on them are very intentional, just based okay. off of kind of how we hear people talk about a situation like this. Yep. Is setting a boundary with a grieving person abandoning them? No, not necessarily. Uh, because when you that if if setting a boundary comes along with communication, no. If you just bail on somebody completely, it could be depending on the context of the relationship, right? Like if you know if I was grieving something and then you know you as one of my best friends were you and I are talking about it and you're there for me, and then all of a sudden you hit some threshold and then you fall off the face of the earth and you won't respond to anything that I'm saying to you given that there's an understanding that because we're good friends, we're going to talk about these types of things. Yeah, I'm probably going to perceive that as an abandonment and be like, what the hell happened? I mean, I, I'm going to still be curious about it, but it's going to feel like abandonment. 
if you're some random person or like you're you're an auxiliary friend who i'm not particularly close to and you say to me hey man i appreciate that you're going through this but i'm going to a friend's house tonight and i'm not going to be available i can't be talking about this right now that is not abandonment that's a boundary um so abandonment is more often than not in the eyes of the beholder so to speak in terms of like the person who's having their boundaries set with them but be careful to use the word abandonment because abandonment is an intentional act um and it is something more often than not that people are not actually doing it's something that you're perceiving so boundaries are not abandonment abandonment is abandonment um and abandonment usually comes along with like a stark contrast to what you're generally used to right like jared's available to me daily and then all of a sudden he's gone and he's gone because of me because of what i'm doing and he didn't communicate to me that it was because of what i'm doing that's abandonment very 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 important distinction so i appreciate that question a lot and the second question bit heavier but i do think it's something that we should talk about and that a lot of people think about uh i'll i'll put it in uh like an i statement if i am the one who sets a boundary with someone uh who mm -hmm. is grieving am i responsible for what that person does after i set that boundary no you're not and i'm sure that you're probably referencing to some extent in the worst level suicide Correct. um but no you're not and uh if you're more if you're interested in a conversation about suicide uh, those of you watching this video i have a conversation about suicide on my youtube channel uh, so i'm not going to go too far down the suicide lane on this but no you are not uh you are responsible for setting your boundary you're not responsible for a person's response to your boundary and oftentimes people will become averse to setting boundaries because of that fear of what could happen if they set the boundary and the general rule of thumb on boundaries is that the people that you are most afraid to set boundaries with are often the people you most need to set boundaries with so and again there's a video on youtube that i've done about healthy boundaries that i encourage you all to watch but no you are not responsible for the reaction that somebody has to a clearly stated boundary and it is and i will say this too because this is again in the in the grief frame of things if you're grieving there are going to be people who set boundaries with you not everybody's going to do it healthily there may be some people that just kind of pull back a bit as opposed to saying explicitly hey i'm going to be pulling back because this is intense for me but there are going to be people who set boundaries with you and that is okay in the same way that if you need to set boundaries with certain people while you're grieving that is okay the only thing that you can control is the boundary you set and how you maintain that boundary and remember a boundary is not a boundary unless you follow through with the consequences of a boundary violation saying that something's a boundary isn't enough you have to actually follow through with it also i remember the thing i was gonna say um and we obviously for a very specific reason we often talk about the importance of like therapy and how they'll help how helpful therapy can be uh but i forgot about groups um, yeah grief groups are, are great there are so many groups for uh grieving loss uh some of them often uh extremely specific 
um a lot of them can be local you can have like online groups but uh we don't really talk about them that often probably because just it's not usually this specific of a context uh, honestly but like groups can be really really great for you to help process your grief with other people um so that's another resource that you can use and you can look for um yeah support groups uh, specifically but and I'm gonna... i completely forgot I want to give some insight just uh, into what that process is. Because if you don't have like grief support groups available to you, whether you're grieving or whether you're a person that wants to support somebody in your life who's grieving, something that is very important that happens in those groups is that people don't say the words, I understand. There is an understanding in grief support groups that everybody who's sitting in that group is having a different experience of grief. Sometimes because grief is, I'd say grief is pretty close to a universal human experience. Um, there is a, there is a tendency for people who have gone through grief to say something like, oh, I know what you're going through when somebody comes to them with grief. And the reality is maybe you kind of do, but you mostly don't. So one of the most important ways to support grief, uh, people grieving is to recognize the individuality of that process, to be curious about it rather to immediately go to connecting with it because you yourself have gone through grief. So in grief support groups, there's a lot of curiosity along the lines of like, what's it been like for you? What has been your experience? What has surprised you? What are your emotions that you're going through? People don't say things like, oh, I know exactly what you're going through because I've been there. I lost my dad too using the a lot of people try to use that to connect and the reality is you're actually more likely to lose somebody in trying to connect that way because the response nine times out of ten is no you don't know what this is like for me because my relationship to my father is way different than your relationship to your father so you couldn't possibly know what this is like and this is where the um dabga or uh dabda becomes problematic in some extent because it, since it oversimplifies the grief process people think that that's a one-to-one -one thing that like oh yeah i remember being at that point in my grief process i remember being at the angry point and it's like and just avoid that entirely just be curious about what people are going through and let them talk about what they're experiencing rather than trying to connect with them vis-a-vis -vis your own grief experience let them ask you if you've ever gone through something like that which people will do by the way people will often say like you know i know you lost your dad what was that like for you full speed ahead talk about what that was like for you if they ask for it but don't don't just throw that out there because you're trying to connect with them because the chances are you're going to miss the mark even though your intentions are good yeah yeah i would agree letting people know that you like share that small aspect of the fact that like you also lost say a parental figure uh i think is fine but thinking that because you lost a parental figure you know what that person's going through because they lost their parental figure is where you run into problems and totally but yeah no i think that's i think it's great to let them know because then they can they do then have the opportunity to say oh okay so then what was it like for you losing losing your dad and then you get to go into your own experience and once again refrain from trying to tell them how it's going to happen because you have you share that one similar thing mm -hmm. um and uh this will probably be our last one based off time but i think it's I think we've touched on it a bit, but I do think it's a good one to kind of go in depth. It is, 
Are the strategies one uses to cope with grief likely to depend on the nature of the loss, or are they likely to be consistent for an individual across instances? Both. Um, it, there's... Uh, I think of how I answered this in, like, a not overly clinical way. Because <laughs> uh, I, know I, I know I have a tendency to do that. Um, there tend to be consistent patterns in the ways that people orient themselves to increases in emotional intensity that's not even just related to like grief just in general people have so like there are some people who will default to an extent to like avoidance or people who will really lean into it and express it be and wear it on their sleeve or you know, whatnot so that patterned response to increased emotional intensity is likely to show up and transcend the context in terms of like when a person is experiencing grief. However, it is so important to understand that when a specific instance or instances happen that produce a grief response, that happens in time and space. And that time and space is relative to maybe when other times of grief have happened because people are always developing so the strategies you use to cope with the death of a or well, let me let me switch context a little bit here the the strategy you might use to cope with the loss of a job that you had and was paying your bills for a long time is going to likely require a different set of coping strategies and management of that experience than when your best friend moved away when you were in seventh grade. Like th there may be, you're, you might experience the emotion of that similarly where you wanna punch a punching bag as hard as you can and maybe you go outside and you, you hit a lantern with a bat or something like that. But the strategies required to manage that situation are gonna be different. And what you perceive to be helpful in that is going to be different because everybody has different needs at different points in their life relative to the context that they're in. So it's, I think this is where we get into the complexity of why there is no right or wrong way to grieve. And it's not a linear process because when you start to think that you're supposed to handle it a certain way, it, it takes the context out of a given situation and you think that it's always supposed to be the same and it is not. So when people ask me all the time in chat when I'm on Twitch and whatnot, they'll say like, well, you know, how should I feel about this? I always respond back at that by saying it's not about how you should feel, it's about how you do feel. So instead of asking yourself, how should I do this? How should I feel about this thing that I'm grieving? Stop yourself and say, what am I feeling? Because you are feeling something. And maybe it needs a little bit of digging. Maybe you got to pay a little bit more attention to your body. But the way that you cope with... I prefer manage with grief as opposed to cope, but that's splitting hairs. Like the way that you manage grief is always going to be relative to what it is that you're grieving and how intense the response to it is. Like I know for a fact that when my parents die, that is going to be way more difficult for me to manage than like if an aunt and uncle dies, even though I love my aunt and uncles. Like if my when my mom and dad die, it's gonna be incredibly difficult for me and I already know that. So 
which leads me to another point, which is that we haven't talked too much about anticipatory grief. I know there's maybe some questions about this, but I think it fits a little bit here too, is if you know that something is probably going to impact you pretty significantly, whether it's immediately in front of you or whether it's maybe a little bit down the line, it's okay to start developing some of those strategies and asking yourself, what kinds of things do I want to implement when this happens in order to manage this maybe more effectively than I might otherwise if I'm shooting from the hip. But it's always going to depend on context. And even then, no amount of preparation is going to actually one-to-one -one prepare you for what's going to happen. I might have some sense of what it's going to feel like to lose a parent, but I won't know what that's actually like until it happens. And you have to leave room for that as well. Because there is a level of improvisation that comes along with navigating the grief process that I think a lot of people struggle with. Mm -hmm. I think we could do yeah. one more, if unless you have I, a follow up. But a quick one. But I would say, like, I think the way this question is phrased, um, I think it's also important to note that, like, you yourself aren't even going to deal with the same types of grief in the same way. Like, you are not going to deal with all death in the same right. way you're not even gonna deal with uh like let's say you do have two parents in your life you're not even gonna deal with both of those parental deaths in the same way necessarily so totally true. i think i think some people might try to anticipate their grief based off of previous uh grief that they've experienced and while that might be helpful what's not helpful is like kind of uh, I guess I'd use the phrase just for layman terms, beating yourself up because you're not grieving the way that you did last time. Yep. Like, yep. like if like sitting there and going, why isn't this death affecting me the way the other one did is a, is a fine question to ask yourself, but it, you shouldn't be like this death isn't grieving me the same way. What's going on and kind of getting upset. I think that's just really, really important. Cause again, that's going to depend on a bunch of different factors such as like time that's passed relationship to the person other events that you've had in your life like it can depend on so many other things and you just you just kind of have to sit with it in the moment and see how you're feeling grief should be met with curiosity not judgment great great phrase yeah, yeah. i mean that is really just as a blanket statement i generally don't make a lot of blanket statements but meet curious meet grief with curiosity instead of judgment and you will save yourself a lot of problems that people develop when it comes to grief. Mm -mm -mm. Uh, whew, man, I'm trying to find one more that's not huge. This one's this one's similarly related, so we'll just jump into it and then we'll pick up next time. But uh, is it possible to not properly grieve a parent dying till a couple decades later? There's no such thing as properly grieving. I think we've probably established that. So take the word properly out of that completely. There's literally no such thing as properly grieving. I think what that usually means, what people think properly grieving means, as it, particularly as it relates to parents, is that you're supposed to be sad. That you're supposed to be bummed out about it. The reality is that's not always the case for people. So first and foremost, if you're going to even use the word properly, it needs to be like, what do you think is the way that you would like to process that and even then uh, you're holding yourself to a weird standard so get the word properly out of there so is it possible to grieve a parent a couple decades later yeah 100 percent um i actually can think of multiple examples in my head right now as i'm answering this question of people that i've known that that has happened to yeah for sure 
mean, Jared alluded to it a little bit earlier, which is sometimes when people have their own children, that's when it stirs up stuff about their their deceased parents because now they mm -hmm. they feel a sense of connection to their parents because they're occupying a role that was what their parents occupied, and there's a level of closeness that can happen to that from an abstract standpoint. But yes, that is 100% possible. In fact, it's probably more common than people might think. Uh, sometimes grief happens in the context of, or like the initial burst let me back up. A common misconception about grief is that it only happens right away. And that's not true. Uh, sometimes people are so shocked by an event or there's so much going on in their life that distracts them from it that they don't attend to it in a way that is meaningful or with depth, so to speak. And that it might take some time to grieve that where you're just not you're when you're finally in a position to be able to grieve or when you hit or when you have a certain memory that comes in that actually that grabs you or whatever it may be this is why it's so important not to conceptualize grief as a linear thing that has a finite amount of time because what will sometimes happen is that people might grieve a parent's death or whatever 10 years down the line and then be incredibly harsh with themselves and say like well i thought i was over this i thought i well, what do you mean i'm still dealing with this or whatever and that just simply isn't the case. I also think it's important to realize that if you had a parent who died, I think where I've seen this happen more often is that this might happen when you had a bad relationship with a parent, like a traumatic relationship with a parent. And there's like a trigger down the line where you think about a parent and then it's a terrible experience because you don't want to be thinking about that parent. And maybe there's a, some sadness that comes along with it that doesn't feel right because you were abused by that parent. And you're like, wait a second, why am I sad? This person was terrible to me when I was a child. And again, that's where we get into. It's not about how you should feel. It's about what you do feel. And that sadness is valid, even if the reality is that that person was abusive. So this is also why we throw the word properly out because these things can hit you unexpectedly down the line. And that's more of a testament to where you are developmentally. The older the get you get, the more perspective you have, the more opportunities for empathy and connection you have. And if you're, you know, 15 years old when you're when your parent dies, you're gonna have a certain developmental understanding of that and ability to handle that. But then when you're 35, that death might mean something completely different because now that you've lived 20 years past that, you have a different understanding of life yourself what matters to you, what role your parent had, and boom, there it is. Now we're grieving because I didn't have the opportunity to work through this stuff with that parent when they were alive and whatnot. So it is totally possible for this to happen. When it does, it's okay. It's not something to be afraid of. It just means something. It says a lot about where you are as much as it says something about the person or people that you're grieving or the event that you're grieving. And again, that's an opportunity for you to say, I want to go talk to somebody, a professional about this and and have that normalized. And also they can help me work through that and provide a space for me to talk about it in the way that I need to talk about it. So this is this happens a lot. It's not grief doesn't have to happen immediately in the aftermath of the event. And and I'll be very clear that the lack of emotional intensity is part of that grief process, particularly if the emotion happens down the line, right? Like that, that is, then we can look back and say, okay, well, part of my grief process was that I didn't feel it as intently up front, but I'm feeling it now. If that emotional intensity never happens, fine, right? Like then, then there maybe wasn't even a grief process there. 
and that's okay too. Sometimes things we think we're supposed to grieve, we don't grieve, and that's fine. You don't have to grieve the death of a parent. That's not required. It can happen. It's probably likely to happen if you had a good relationship with that parent or somebody who's significant, but sometimes people don't experience a grief process on stuff like that, and that's okay. You basically answered another question, but I'm just going to leave it in there anyways, because it's a good one to dive into more in depth next time. Yeah, so I know this was relatively short. Uh, it's because I have some time constraints on my end today when we were doing this, but we will be doing more episodes of this. I hope that those of you who have been watching this on YouTube. I hope that this was a meaningful video to kind of get your feet wet, maybe get you thinking a little bit about what grief means for you or what it has meant for you in your life. And we have a lot of great questions that we'll cover in subsequent episodes of this. If you would like your quest, your own question answered in one of these Q&As and you want us to keep this going, one, again, let me know you want us to keep this going down in the comments, but also make sure you pop into Discord and you can ask your questions in the Grief QA channel. We're going to leave that open for people to pop their questions in there, and we will try again to get to as many as we can. So I really hope this was helpful. I hope this was meaningful in some way. I appreciate that you watched this video and I really hope that you'll share it with anybody who you think in your life might benefit from watching it. Th th these are designed to be as shareable and approachable as possible. If there's a favorite clip that you like or something like that, send it along. It also helps me grow the channel and get good information out there because grief has a lot of not good information out there. So thanks for taking the time, Jared. Thank you for moderating this. I appreciate you, buddy. And we will catch you all on part two which hopefully will be out relatively soon. So thanks for watching. We'll see you on the next one.